0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. And we're here today uh, to talk about a very um, compelling topic, I think, something that uh, might make people feel uh, a little scared even. It's the topic of moral courage and speaking the truth in love. And this is actually going to be a two-part series, right, Pam? That's right, yeah. So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, living out moral courage in our family and intimate friendship relationships. And right, Megan. And, and go ahead and, and talk about and just kind of recap what we
1: talked about in I think it was about the second episode about uh, the friend the types
0: of friendship loves that we spoke of and just reiterate that, even refresh our memories. Sure. So when we're referring to our intimate friendships um we're talking about those people in our lives who we really have spent the time and developed deep uh, close relationships where you know we are um, living out life side to side, shoulder to shoulder, and we are fully engaged in each other's lives as opposed to the other kinds of friendship and we call that like spiritual friendship, particularly if it's that you know ordered towards um, our faith in, in the Lord. Uh, the other two types of friendships, which are going to be talked about more in the next um, podcast uh, regarding this, are, you know, the, the friendships of what we called utility and the friendships of pleasure. Uh, those two types of friendships where you're you're not as close and as engaged in each other's lives. You're engaged uh, more uh, through um you know, mutual benefit, kind of like work friends, things like that, or friendships of pleasure where you get together to do things that you both enjoy, but you really haven't uh, gone deep into uh, a serious engagement into each other's lives on a personal, intimate level. So um, for the purpose of this discussion today, as far as moral courage and speaking with conviction in relationship, we're going to include uh, those um close, spiritual friends, intimate friends with our family members. uh, Because, you know, the stakes are really high in those relationships, right? The ones that are really close to our hearts.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think, though, it is a little more difficult for me. Um, Think about This is dynamics in a family or extended family. So when I say that, I'm talking about not just my husband and my children and their spouses, but let's go through my brothers and sisters and their spouses and parents and, you know, maybe the uncle, a great uncle and so forth. So we're talking about that kind of family, which... When we discussed that type of relationship in, uh, I think it was episode two, that can be more challenging because God has given those relationships to you. You have not chosen them. So when we're talking about moral courage, this the reason why this is, is coming up for us is it's. Um, I think it's a time where we need to be re-educated about what that means as a Christian, as someone who works to serve the Lord in our communities, what is Moral courage and moral in itself, and of course, we want to rightly order it all towards Christ and toward the biblical teachings, meaning it can concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of the human character. So, Mm -hmm. you know, holding or manifesting a high principle or moral conduct, which is that rightly ordered according to Christ's teachings. I want to like really clarify
0: that because some people may try and work outside that box. And I think it's really important that you read that definition because it does speak to two very distinct aspects of morality. Um, The behaviors And also the character. Now, I think we can both agree that the behaviors often stem from the character, right? Um, But they are distinct. So, for example, a person could seem to be doing all the right things, right? Their external behavior may be irreproachable. But the reality of their interior disposition... How they think, view the world and everything could be seriously disordered. Right. I call that a
1: duplicity. That's Megan, uh, a duplicity that we have in us. But I usually see it the opposite way. No, it's pretty much that way as well, too, where who I am inside as a person um A way I feel about the Lord sometimes is not manifesting in my life. That was one of my, like, a a, a reversion or more of a deeper Mm -hmm. conversion for me when I felt like my life wasn't reflecting who I was as a person. But you're right. The other is is definitely, you know, a
0: facade. The the interior doesn't represent the facade that's being presented. And what you talked about is very much what St. Paul talks about when he says, I do the thing I do not want. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's something that we— all struggle with as Christians. um, This idea that we have a sense of who we want to be, who we believe God is calling us to be, but then in our human weakness, we don't live up to that and we behave in such a way that it, you know, contradicts those ideals. And I think one of the things that we really are going to be focusing on in this conversation is... A topic that we spoke about in our conversation about spiritual friendship, which is the idea of admonishment. Mm -hmm. The sense of I am seeing something, a reality that is existing either within another person or within a circumstance that is not holy. And I'm going to speak to it. I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to just try to sweep it under the rug or try to keep a sort of false peace about the scenario by not um, causing conflict, I'm going to face the truth as it, you know, represents itself to me and speak it. Um, And I think we both agree this can be a very... Frightening thing,
1: right? Which is what the where the definition of courage comes from is it the ability to do something that is frightening, okay? right? So also, I want to also talk about that courage is actually found under the virtue of justice because when we are working toward a just outcome, we must have courage in mm-hmm. many cases. So I want to look at this from two perspectives. I'm looking at it from, say, a person who, Maybe has a more of a prideful personality that wants to just get in there and tell the truth, no matter, you know, just like there's a lot of fallout, a lot of collateral damage because they're in there being bold and talking Mm -hmm. about it. That's not what I'm talking about either. That's not really courage. That's just, that's not, there's no temperance in that. Right. But then there's someone who reflects uh, more like my temperament, which is that desire for human respect and that desire to please people and want to just do the right thing. I so desire to do the right thing. But I found that, you know, that's one of those definitions where, you know, you're falling into that sin of vanity when you can't even speak the truth because you're too afraid of what that person may think Mm -hmm. or do. But in the context, let's take it closer to yourself and to your spouse and just to your immediate family and what that moral courage really means. And I think it's finding that balance Between speaking that truth and having the courage, if you're the shy kind who don't want to really go that way, which, by the way, I really have the feeling or it's really come to my mind that the political correctness was a means to start to try and control our speech. Because it was very, very kind of clever to think, well, it's not polite and we don't want to make people uncomfortable. And I really fell into that. For sure I did.
0: Yeah, I think um, that idea of not wanting to cause conflict or make things uncomfortable and equating that with charity is kind of where we've gone off the rails a bit. Right. Um, the idea of what does true love look like? And I think where we started to go wrong really started in the way that we parent. Um, We used to have a concept within parenting that was much more popular (laughs) called tough love, right? Where you, for example, when you see that your child is about to do something that is not a good idea, you know it's not a good idea and you know it's gonna cause them some kind of pain or discomfort or embarrassment or whatever, some negative consequence as it relates to the behavior. We used to say, you know what? You just got to let them do it and experience the negative consequence and they will learn. That's how you learn. You learn from experiencing the consequences of your actions, right? But somewhere along the line there was a shift that happened where this idea that we needed to protect our children from consequences that we needed to Insulate them and and prevent them from experiencing things that are painful, negative, whatever. Um, worked its way into the way that we interact. And I have some, I have kind of an
1: idea about that too. As as let's just think of you know decades in, in the culture and what was going on. So let's just use kind of the '60s because everybody mm-hmm. knows the '60s was all about the beginning of free love. There was the dramatic increase of drug use during, um, -hmm. United States, the war that was going on, all those kinds of things. So there was a, you know, very self-centric notion. Um, again, the sensuality gone run amok to do what feels good and feels right. So we were throwing out a lot of our good moral character, because, I don't know, I say it's kind of like the pendulum was swinging. So you had the beautiful World War II generation who really went by the book and was noble in so many respects. And then you have the, the pendulum really swing where the free love and every anything was a go, right? So that kind of mindset was more like, I'm not going to restrict you. So you can have a false freedom because it was about freedom mm-hmm. what they believed to be a freedom during that generation to do whatever they wanted but as we know boy that's kind of <laughs> kind of like what sin really is is doing whatever you wanted whereas we know God gave us those 10 commandments so that we may be more fulfilled so we may have a our box to know this is where you stay safe if you stay in this box Stay in these parameters. You're going to be safe and healthy and whole. So that parenting style that you're talking about was one that said, I just want you to be happy. I'm not going to restrict you. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that came from. Whether, And it just kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater in a way.
0: Yeah. And it really does inhibit one in relationship. If your understanding is, if I ever do or say anything within a relationship that upsets the other person in any way, makes them feel bad about themselves or makes them angry that I'm not loving them. Like you really are very limited in your ability to do this, what we determined was a very important aspect of um, spiritual relationship, which is admonish. Because um, people don't like to be admonished. And if It doesn't feel good to have somebody say, you know, I really don't think you're living up to what God's calling you to, or I think you're more than that, or any of these things. Um, so if we're defining love by pleasure, or making someone feel good, or at least not making them feel bad, well, we're really very limited in how we're expressing our love. And I think it does really prevent us from loving fully as God loves, because um, you don't have to read the Bible for much to understand, especially if you're looking at the Old Testament, that God chastises You know, he corrects, he points out when his people are going astray and he allows the consequences of those actions to play out. I mean, we see that right from the beginning. He allowed the fall and he allowed Adam and Eve to experience the negative consequences that the fall created in their lives to the extent that he allowed death into the world. Now, being the awesome, amazing God that he is, he worked it into the plan that he brought us something even better through the fall, you know, Oh Felix culpa, Oh happy fault. Um, So I think that's something that really, that idea through allowing the truth of actions or realities to play themselves out, to acknowledge them, understand that there can be, Negatives associated with that, but that they can be or that action can be ordered towards a much greater Mm -hmm. good in the long run is really what we're talking about here. When we're talking about being willing to be courageous in the area of morality and having the conviction that this is not just about that person that you're talking about who's just like in love with their own opinion and wants to tell everybody how it is, right? Right, but it's more about. I love you so much that I'm willing to endure pain, difficulty, even your anger towards me or whatever, because I trust that there is a greater good that can come from acknowledging truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Acknowledging a beautiful truth that we come from, like our place in our Catholic faith. So I want to look at that in two different ways in the home. Like we're going to keep on that personal level of with children or with spouses. So let's start okay. with a spouse. Um, given I have that nature of really wanting to please, I mean, I grew up with that. That's just kind of how God made me and through woundedness developed even more. Um, but there was a time and when I began to learn more about my faith and, and learn that as a wife, I needed to be able to stand up and say, this is what I believe. and This is what I think about this particular situation, even though I was disagreeing with my husband. Now, some mm-hmm. people might not find it hard to disagree with your husband, but I did for <laughs> many years.
0: I think some people find it hard to
1: agree with their yeah. husband, actually. <laughs> but That may be, yeah. Uh, so that was a really that was the first thing I really started to practice with some moral courage is was speaking up and talk about what I believed, uh, regardless of what the outcome or, you know, not having any ties to what the outcome was really going to be that I just needed to speak it. And it Mm -hmm. took me just uh, enough just to do that, that we have that obligation to speak what we believe in whenever we're questions about those things.
0: Right. I would love to hear um, as you were sort of undergoing that process of coming out of the idea that I want to please and that I have an obligation to speak truth. When you're in that place of wanting to please, can you verbalize, like, what were your big fears? Like, what what were you really afraid of?
1: Oh, I can absolutely, uh, through lots of uh, prayer, um, at the end of it was I had an overwhelming fear of rejection. Even just being told, no. No. Would you like a glass of water? No, thank you. (gasps) That hurt me. That's how sensitive a soul I was, right? Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. But I I don't know how I got to that place. But it was those kind of things having to really um, get undone. So it was an absolute deep fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really started to change my heart about being um, different was I was listening to another podcast and I'm so sorry that I can't even remember the psychologist's name. But when you have a long-term history like I have of trying to please and not wanting conflict and trying to avoid conflict, um, it was such a revelation to me to hear. Now remember your body will have an adverse reaction to the conflict and that's okay. That was huge for me. I'm like, wait, doesn't your body, if you react that way, mean it's bad? And it was such a, um, a light bulb for me to know, no, not necessarily. It's okay to put yourself in these difficult situations for a moral good. That's what part of the courage is to understand. Now, expect the difficult feelings to come in, in your body. So there's actually a book that was very fascinating. I, I didn't read the whole thing, but it's called The Body Keeps Score. And so it's like even after someone who has been clinically and psychologically healed from a trauma of this or that, their body would still, in fact, react the way it always had, which is so true even in our spiritual life as, as, as it is, um, relates to woundedness, okay? Like I can have it clearly in my brain and I know, but again, I'll feel it in my body the way I had for the last 45 years.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of what we're talking about here is, you know, when you're contemplating wanting to be a person of moral courage, it's important that before you start worrying about what you're going to say to who and who you're going to say it to, you really need to start with yourself, right? And really understand where are the areas that I'm weak in my own moral development, for one, but then also where are my fears that will prevent me from being courageous when a moment calls me to speak? Um, You know, I love, uh, you know, how, you know, Jesus said, don't be, don't worry about, you know, what you're going to say during these times of trial and persecution, the Holy spirit will, will give you the words. Right. And so I believe that's, that's true. But the reality is, is if you aren't, Willing to even put yourself in the circumstance, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have an opportunity to give you the words. Exactly. Right. And so I think a lot of times things like our woundedness are um, the fears that we have about what um, a response means about who I am prevent us from even putting ourselves in the position. Yes, to speak the words that the Holy Spirit might give us in that moment, because we're so afraid of whatever response we might get.
1: Right. And I'm glad you brought that up too, Megan, because this was another pivot point for me in looking at it differently. So one of my favorite things to do before I get too distracted is always ask the Blessed Mother to give me the right perspective on something. And this is something that I felt like she really inspired in my heart. And what she said was, the way another person treats you says way more about them than it does about you. That was really poignant for me because I used to just think if I were a certain way, they would treat me better. Mm-hmm. They would like me. You know, I would get that from them. I get, you know, the, all the good feels. But in fact, just over and over again, some people just don't like me. That was like a real shocker for me. Oh, they just don't like you, Pam. (laughs) And like, that's okay. That's their opinion. My personality rubs them wrong. And once I started to understand, you know, if I was living truly who I was and, and looking only to God, which that's the real key to overcoming that kind of vanity, is only looking to God in my behavior, that then I understood that the way someone treated me was way more about them than me, but how I responded to it and the way I felt about it was really all on me. And so especially if I was starting to think badly or poorly about myself, then again, I would always run to the the foot of the cross and, and ask Jesus, Jesus, tell me the truth here. Where's my sin? Yeah. Do I have sin here? That kind of thing.
0: And I think you make a good point about um, what's your what is your motivation in any relationship when Jesus tells us, Love God and love your neighbor. He didn't say, Love God and get your neighbor to love you. Our goal isn't to get people to love us, to make, to be somebody that, you know, people just flock to and, you know, love, you know, to, We're not looking to take from another person their love or or looking to receive from them their love. If we're loving in Christ, what we're trying to do is love them. It's not about us being loved. It's about us loving, right? And so when you're going from that perspective, what is loving this person most in this moment, regardless of how it makes them feel about me, right? You're you're starting with a different, you know, starting point here. It, it again, it doesn't come up. So then the things that are you know would enter into the equation are they going to get mad at me? Are they going to think I'm a jerk? Are they going to think I'm judgy? Which I think that one right there is the one that's really tough right now mm. in in our own families in particular. You're judging me. That's right. Yeah. And no, that's not allowed, right? That's in our culture. That's just that's the worst thing you can do is to judge somebody else, right? So. But if that's what your perspective is, is like, I'm just worried about how I'm going to be received or how, if I'm going to be loved or, you know, what somebody's response is going to inform me about myself. Well, we're not really loving the other person in that moment. We're loving ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Part of our own sinfulness. Mm. Yeah. So I think one of the big keys of getting yourself into a place where you can have conviction and moral courage is to work on your own self-love.
1: Exactly, and I also want to add something else to that. It definitely does come from your own personal that confidence that you need to have, which I suffer from. You know that low self confidence. But I want to come recall a quote from Sister Rafaela, who did a a show with me on uh, the Roundup on Justice. As we talked about, courage is a, a subset of justice, and this was very eye opening for me. She says, Pam there's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. So there may be a spiritual truth or a truth that you speak to a person and it hurts them to hear it. Maybe because it reveals their own personal sinfulness, whatever reason it is, but it doesn't harm them. So I think I thought that distinction was so good to make because before it was all harm and i didn't want to harm anybody or i didn't mm-hmm. want to hurt anybody right but then i recalled a time and i'm happy to recall this time i thought this was really good so this is the like courage she didn't even know she was having courage with me um but i think this is such a great example this is many many years ago a good friend of mine you know visiting outside a church this is a uh, really long time ago and she wanted to go there about contraception. Look at me today, but she was going there about contraception and she wasn't even telling me a truth about myself. You know, she was just like, man, I'm just so happy. We never bought that lie about contraception. And I remember going, oh, I can't believe she's talking about con- contraception with me, you know, right now. Um, and it was maybe very uncomfortable because it was a controversial topic. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that discomfort, she was not afraid of making me uncomfortable and talked about a truth and wasn't afraid to make me uncomfortable. So that also, that little memory has given me more, let's say, fuel to say it is okay to make someone uncomfortable when you are talking about a
0: moral truth. Right. And I would agree with that completely. And I would say that. In our close relationships and our, you know, our marriages and, and with our children and with our close friends, ideally what we would hope we had done in those relationships throughout the course of them is to establish an understanding that you do truly love the other person, that you truly desire their good, that you have shown that to the person in many ways throughout your relationship, so that when it does come time with that person to have to say one of these difficult things, one of these things that might upset them or hurt or hurt them, that they have within them the knowledge and the understanding of who you have been to them in their lives and that they can trust that you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't say this. You wouldn't bring this to their attention if you didn't feel that it was really necessary for their good, you know, that it wasn't out of love. Like if we have been dealing with our close relations in a way that hasn't shown a true caring a true respect for their dignity, a a true um, confirmation that you really do truly love them for who they are and not just trying to make them a reflection of who you want them to be. When you do get to these moments, I think they are more easily received. So I think if you find that in your close relationships, anytime you ever try to do this, with another person, you get like, oh my gosh, you're so judgmental or, you know, you're just trying to impose your beliefs on me or you, you know, you're so whatever. Like if those are the responses, you have to question, have I really built that relationship on a foundation where that person trusts me? Do they trust I love them and my I have good intentions for them? Because if you don't have that, you've got a much bigger problem in that relationship than just pointing out some area where they might be struggling in their moral life. You've got some serious work to do on that relationship. And these conversations and the responses to these kind of conversations can be A flashlight that shined on an area that says, you know what, this didn't go well. And maybe we need to work not just together on growing in our moral relationship, our moral relationship to God, right? But we need to work on our relationship with each other because clearly it's not on solid ground if you don't trust that I'm only saying this because I love you.
1: Right. The one thing that comes to mind too is it's a kind of a spiritual maturity. I was listening to another podcast about this, and I thought that was such a great point. Is that once you have, like, for instance, with you and I, Megan, we are good enough friends, and built on the love of Jesus, and we know we have this really deep love for one another in that aspect, that I could then come to you and say, if I did have a disagreement that was uncomfortable, I could talk to you about that openly. And it may cause conflict, but yet you and I in, in spiritual maturity would think and know that that is just part of loving one another, right? There's not that immaturity that says, well, I don't like you anymore. I'm going to sever this relationship. And I'd like to talk about that before we close out this segment of the podcast, too, is about how we sever relationships when we don't agree. And the problem there to me is the establishment of unconditional love. I believe people don't know it and don't understand it because the only person that really teaches it is Jesus Christ and the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. That unconditional love. That was like, that was a real beginning point for me in my faith of what is this unconditional love? And do humans have it for one another? Maybe we don't do it so well, but that's kind of the goal, right? So mm-hmm. when you do have an established, mature, unconditional love for one another, it makes these other truths a lot easier. So what we're finding in our culture is, is too much of an immaturity in love, mostly because they have never experienced what unconditional love is, don't have a depth of a relationship with Christ, that when they are hurt, they turn away and sever. And that's so so oftentimes what's going on in our families today when brother turns on brother, mm-hmm. sister turns on sister, parent on child, is that there wasn't a mature enough established safe place of unconditional love and and i think it just really goes back on what we're taught and what our relationship is to Christ. So again, like when we first started the podcast, all of our relationships stem from our
0: relationship with Christ. Absolutely. And i think um when we're talking about how you can enter into relationships where two people both share, you know, a love for Christ and an and understanding of his um, love for us and the fact that we are all, gr- we are grounded in that. And it, if we have that, you know, everything else is kind of icing on the cake, right? Those actually relationships are few and far between, even within our most intimate circle. A lot of times more often, we're dealing with situations where there's disparities, where people are, um, in their relationship to God and um, their not only their spiritual maturity, but also their human formation and their, and their maturity there. And so how do we deal with circumstances where ideally we'd love to have all our relationships be founded on this uh, mutual love for Christ and, and deep spiritual maturity, but that's just not the reality that we're experiencing um, for, for most of our relationships. And so one of the things I would say regarding that is we need to understand that— um, There are these deep uh, defense mechanisms that people have where if they feel like they're being judged, attacked, um, whatever, the tendency is to want to withdraw, like you said. And I think uh, it's not always like I'm going to sever the relationship completely, especially in family relationships. I mean, that's almost impossible a lot of times. But what it can lead to is, you know, the walls go up. Um, the sort of idea of I'm I'm not going to leave this relationship, but emotionally I'm going to cut myself off from you, and because I feel like I need to now protect myself from you and things like that. I think uh, a lot of that can be mitigated, not just in you know trying to build that trust that you do love them before you start coming at them with you know spiritual truths and everything, but also the manner in which you share this information. And so I would like to just talk for a moment about some more practical aspects about, okay, you feel convicted that you need to speak a truth in love to, to somebody in your intimate circle. Um, You really, God's putting it on your heart. I think a lot of times we do feel these sort of things that... Like, the lord pressing on our heart you need to speak up you need you i've given you eyes to see this i'm i'm pushing you to say it and now you know we're in this position where okay i know i need to do this but how do i do it how do i do it in a way that could has the best chance of being received so i would say in a practical sense there's a few things that are really important first pick an appropriate moment <laughs> This convers- timing is everything. Yeah, timing is everything. This is not the conversation to have. Like, say it's with your spouse. Let's just use that as an example. This is not the conversation to have at a birthday party, at the dinner table with all your children there, or you know, in front of other couples. Things like that. No, this is a. This is if this is a sensitive thing, something that you know could potentially be painful for the person to hear or upsetting. Be intentional. Put aside the time. Schedule it. Invite them into it. Give them a heads up. You know, I have something on my heart I really want to talk to you about. I want us to have the privacy and the time to be able to discuss it. Show them that you're not just spouting off and you're not just doing this out of frustration or anger or whatever. That you've really thought about it. You've prayed about it. And guess what? Don't just try to Im- give them the impression you've thought about it and prayed about it. Actually think about it and pray about right, it. Right, right, right. You know, before you do it. So do that. Set, th- set the scene. Set the timing. Okay. I'm going to stop you right
1: there because this is something that actually happens to me. That once... When I feel kind of that fervor of anger to speak a truth that needs to be said, I have enough of that anger behind me to actually speak it. And so much has been my way is to let me cool off. I want to cool down. And by the time I cool down, then I'm thinking, oh, it's just not that important anymore. When in fact, maybe it really was. But I just don't see, I just don't see the reason for it after Mm -hmm. I cool off.
0: (laughs) Well, I think these things, again, you go into prayer with it. Right. You don't just like let it go. If you felt that, take your feelings into prayer and see if God transforms them into convictions. Mm. I've just lived a life in which I can
1: justify just about
0: anything. Well, and then you can
1: make it back. Oh, it's my
0: fault. You know,
1: that's definitely been one of my ways.
0: But that's not what, you know, that's not the Lord. If you bring it to him, right. Ideally, he will show you, okay, no, this, yeah, this was more about you. And, you know, it's not his problem, it's your problem. If we're again talking about a spouse, or he will say, no, this is actually as his helpmate, I want you to speak this truth mm-hmm. to your spouse. So that discernment, don't let it go. Honor your own emotions, honor your own, you know, sense of maybe you had righteous anger. It wasn't Maybe it wasn't just anger. Maybe it wasn't just annoyance. Maybe it was a real true righteous anger because you're seeing something that is, is a, a moral issue. Um, and we are supposed to be helpmates to those that we're in close relationship with. We're, our goal should always be like, let's help each other be holy. Let's help each other get to heaven, right? And if we're withholding speaking the hard things that potentially could help, Um, then we're not accomplishing the very thing that God has put us in these people's lives to do, right? Right, which
1: I want to kind of pull it back into the parenting aspect of it because I found that that's been one of my larger challenges is learning to pick and choose exactly the time to um, reprimand and coach, train the teenagers, especially because of their explosive personalities at times. And given my nature, did not want to be on the other end of that explosion. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But then having to remember it's okay to be uncomfortable for a better good. Um, it's going it's going really well personally, but that's definitely been something over the years that I failed at because I'm like, wow, well, if I say something, she's going to explode and the harmony in the house is going to be caputi. Um mm-hmm. but that's okay, especially mm-hmm. if it was done in the proper way. The child knows that they're loved and it's that tough love you were talking about, which I, I really see more of a need for that than ever before like the spoiling of the kids, the helicopter mom, the lawnmower moms and those kinds of things. You don't know what a lawnmower mom is. It's like someone that goes ahead of the child to 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 get rid of all the obstacles before the child goes out so the child has it easy. I think that's more for us, mm-hmm. you know, because we have to learn. And I always thought as a parent, this was like one of those, oh God, I see what you're doing here. As a parent, he creates us to want to love comfort, nurture the child for their very goodness. We want our happiness for our children. But on the truth aspect, there are times when you need your child to learn from, just like we started out this conversation, their trials, their discomforts, their bad decisions and those natural consequences for them. So he's asking to grow us and say, you need to allow those. And I just see that we've really gotten away from that because of, uh, again, back to that era of the 60s where we did or we're allowed to do whatever feels good or right, that must be the best thing. It's true freedom, which was a lie.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. But I do think that we can minimize the explosions, even in things that are difficult to say, right? And that's why I was trying to talk about setting the scene. Because, I mean, that's part of the fear that prevents us from doing these things, right? But if we think, well, if I have a conscientious approach to how I can do my very best to make the soil ready for the, to receive this seed of truth, then it will help us to do those things that, that we're called to do. So, you know, setting the scene, like I said, so a child, for example, you know, you kind of switched on to childs. I was I was with husbands, but now we're with child, so we can move with the child. But like, so with a child, like they don't they never want to be embarrassed in front of their somebody with by their parent, right? Or anyone, but they're they're very conscientious about being embarrassed. So don't speak to them in a place that's gonna be embarrassing for them, right? Do it do it in privacy. But I also think that when you're in that moment of privacy and you're going to speak the thing that you need to say, acknowledge this may be hard for you to hear. And it's hard for me to say, like, I I want you to know I don't take pleasure or joy in telling you something that I know is going to be difficult for you. Be honest about your own discomfort and give them the freedom to feel that they're going to have discomfort. Like, Right up front, like it diffuses things very nicely when you admit this is hard for me too. So what does that go from? It goes from I'm here to tell you something to we're in this together. This is a difficult thing that we're going to face together because we love each other. And that's the only reason I'm here right now, because I love you. And this is hard for me. And I understand it's going to be hard for you. So then when you speak... I really, really strongly believe that physical touch is a powerful way to diffuse strong negative reactions. If you're holding someone's hand or, sit, or sitting close enough to them that they can feel you touching them, they can understand, I don't want to be separate from you. I don't want this to be something that comes between us. I'm not here in judgment of you as much as I am here in love of you and a desire to be closer and more united to you through us going through this together. And I really honestly believe that if people could be this intentional, this thoughtful about how they do this with their family members. You could see some profoundly different reactions because when a person feels your love and your care for them, it's not as hard to hear. Because those very things that you were afraid of in their response to what you had to say are the same fears that they have. Mm -hmm. And when you speak something hard to somebody, they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of not being lovable. They're afraid of all these things. But if in your very demeanor and in every way before you say something and while you're saying something that's hard, you should reassure them, I love you. I'm not rejecting you. I'm here because I want to be closer to you. All of a sudden, what was hard to hear, you might find somebody to be like, Mom, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to say that. And then maybe they disagree with you, and maybe then you can have a conversation about why they see it differently. And guess what? Be open to learning something because maybe you haven't seen the whole picture. Exactly. Right? Right. And have that humility in that moment to maybe get something back. Be like, well, mom, really, the way you're seeing this, it's not the whole thing, and you've kind of misjudged everything. Okay, well, then hear that and be willing to take that. That open dialogue that we so desperately yeah, need. Yeah, but then right? it becomes that, right? right? A dialogue. And that's ideally what you want. You want it to become a sharing of hearts. Exactly. Just like, you know, in prayer with the Lord, you know, when he tells us hard things, he also show, gives us his love and he gives us his care and he... You know, he draws us nearer to him and, you know, just like you said earlier, he gives us the rules so that we can be fr- truly free because we can be safe. I think we need to make people feel safe when we're going to tell them something hard. Right. And
1: I want to just kind of wrap up this this episode, Megan, with reminding uh, myself and our friends out there that it's okay to say something that's hurtful as long as it's not harmful very important. And also that it may cause discomfort for you to do it, but it's for a greater good. And that's really what courage is all about.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, our friends, we are so glad that you could be walking with Megan and I shoulder to shoulder. And so thank you for joining us this time. But until next time, God bless. God bless.